This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. Matt, we've got an incredible show today. This is a real special one. It really is. We've got Shane Simpson. He is the MLA for Vancouver Hastings. Real coup for us. It, it is. And I mean, he's the, my former MLA. Yeah, and, you were one uh, of his constituents. Yeah. I was, and I'm a huge fan of Shane's. So uh, I'm excited to have him on the show. And who better to talk about the Grandview Woodlands plan, but also the major issues that are confronting that area right now. Yeah. With affordability and everything else. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. We're talking to Shane today, but we're really talking about some of the subjects that we've talked about before. I mean, right. affordability, increasing density in Vancouver, but how to do that while maintaining some of the character of these communities. Tom Davidoff most recently talked about it on episode 40. We also had Death of the Single Family House with Nathan Louster. That was on episode 27. Uh, Adrian Crook, blogger at Five Kids, One Condo, was talking about, you know, the NIMBY not in my backyard, specifically focusing on on Grandview Woodlands. So, you know, these are some subjects that we've really uh, been talking about sort of over the last year, year and a bit. And uh, Shane is a, a great addition to this fairly complicated subject. Yeah, absolutely. And and we have been talking about it kind of at a very theoretical level, right? Talking about should we really be limiting demand with something like a foreign buyer's tax or should we be increasing supply right. with densification? Well, you know, now we're actually with the Grandview Woodlands plant seeing how that's playing out on the ground level and it's posing its own unique challenges. Yeah. So without further ado, Matt, why don't we get to our interview with Shane Simpson? It's a great one. So enjoy, guys. 
Okay, so we're here with Shane Simpson, MLA for Vancouver Hastings. How are you doing, Shane? I'm great. I'm great. It's good to be with you. Hey, thanks for taking the time today. So, Shane, can you uh, maybe start by just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, Sure. I'm a lifelong uh, resident of Vancouver. Grew up basically in the Strathcona downtown east side, and I've been elected for three terms now, 12 years, uh, coming to the end of my 12th year. And um, my responsibilities right now are jobs, economic development, skills, training, and, and, and labor. But in a previous life before being an elected, I worked a lot around planning issues. I chaired, I was on the Vancouver City Planning Commission for years. I, I chaired the Planning Commission for a while and uh, have worked in the co-op housing sector and around housing-related issues a fair amount at different times in my life and a lot around community planning and community sustainability issues broadly, uh, both uh, doing that. And I worked for Smart Growth BC for a long time, looking at sustainable growth management issues. So it's great to be able to talk about some of these things with you. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So what are some of the current challenges facing Grandview Woodlands? Well, you know, it's a community that is in some level of transition. Uh, We know as costs go up in the city of Vancouver, uh, uh, housing being a big driver, but a whole range of costs, it puts a lot of pressure on people who uh, have modest incomes. And there's a fair amount of people who live in the Granby Woodland area who are in that situation. And I think they're finding it increasingly difficult around affordability questions in the community. There are also people who obviously have a long time investment in that community as their home and a place that's important to them. And they have concerns about what the changing nature of Grandview Woodlands is going to be and how that's going to affect them, how it's going to affect the character of the neighborhood, and whether it's going to exclude some people who have uh, made it their home for a long time. And I think there's a range of issues that kind of evolve around that and much of the conversation, and I know we're going to talk about the Grandview Woodland Plan, I think much of the concern of folks around that uh, drove some of the real concerns around the Grandview Plan when it was initially released. Can you speak a little bit, Shane, to the changing nature of the community? Some of our listeners aren't actually that familiar with the Grandview Woodland Plan. Well, you know, the the Grandview Woodland community on the east side of the city, I think one of the changes, as we've seen, and I think that probably there's some truth to this, but, you know, as housing has got uh, prohibitively expensive for a lot of people, as they say, there's a lot of people who couldn't afford that $3 million house on the west side, and they came over and bought the million-and-a-half-dollar house or the million-dollar house on the east side in Gravity sure. Woodlands, you know, and they've, they've upgraded the house. But So you've had a group of people that have come there uh, to do that. You have a lot of, a fair amount of young families in the community, a fair amount of people who have been there for a long time. Um, some of them are leaving now, I think, and some of them because they now have an asset in their house that, you know, is going to drive retirement for some of these people, and they're selling the asset uh, to drive retirement. And you look at Commercial Drive. Commercial Drive is a very different place than it was when I went to Britannia and used to hang out on the drive as a kid. Um, It's very much about uh, food and beverage now, um, some upper, you know, middle to starting to be higher-end shops. The cost of rent, uh, commercial rents, are very prohibitive uh, for a lot of people that used to have businesses on the drive that are now leaving because they simply can't make the economics of it work because of the uh, the high lease costs. 
Um, and so that changes the nature of commercial drive. And as that's happening, it's changing the nature of the community. I think there's a lot of people working hard to say, we know there's a gentrification, for lack of a better term, that's happening here, but let's do it in a way that isn't exclusionary to the people who've made this home. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do, but I think there's a lot of effort going into that right now. And that, again, was much of the conversation around this plan. Um, the Granby Woodland plan, initially people thought that they had one plan uh, that they were working on. Uh, when the drafts came back from the city, it was dramatically different. It showed a lot of high-rise development, not just around the SkyTrain station, but uh, increased high-rise development and a number of places along Commercial Drive, increased density in ways that people saw as as hurting the affordable rental housing, uh, and just not a plan that that uh, resonated at all with people in the community. Um, and that's, I think, the reason that the city pulled the plan back, went through another process with a citizen's assembly to develop a second plan, and a plan that was much more acceptable to people. It still had challenges, all plans do, but it was a much more acceptable plan for people in the community. And passed with some concern, some reservation, uh, but we now have a plan that uh, will go forward. Right. And so we, we've had a lot of people on, like Tom Davidoff from UBC, who talks about increasing density as uh, helping with affordability. Obviously, a concern for Grandview Woodland is to have the people who have made the community for a long time afford to stay there. Do you think that density will, will help those people stay? Well, you know, density on its own doesn't resolve the problem. The question becomes uh, density for who? Um, one of the issues that, that I have had with the plan, when I look at the plan in its newest incarnation, which is certainly a significant improvement, if I look north of Venables, there's a whole lot of affordable rental housing there, mostly a lot of three-story walk-ups, uh, older buildings, larger, older units, mostly rental or a large number of rental, and they still are relatively affordable. The, you know, affordability, it's, a, it's hard to talk about in the city sometimes. But these are relatively affordable, and the people who are living in them are getting by. Mm-hmm. Um, the plan calls for an increased density, continuing to be rental, you know, purpose-built rental in that area, which is a good thing, but with uh, an increase in density. And I know there's a lot of concern, and I think it's concern that has merit, that that new rental housing aren't going to be units of a comparable size to what's there now, some of the older buildings, and are they going to be affordable for the folks who are living there today? Are they going to be able to come back and afford to live there? And I think those are legitimate questions that I haven't seen an answer to. So that starts to worry people that it will be rental, but will it still be affordable for the people who are there, or are they going to get pushed somewhere else? And if so, where? Mm -hmm. So density, I tend to be inclined to sort of some of the softer approaches to density that uh, can be used rather than building up all the time. I don't think uh, building up is always the answer by any means. And so, you know, we have to really think about that. Um, and, And I'm not sure what the answer is, but I certainly see a lot of people, my constituents, who potentially get excluded from that new housing uh, because it's going to, you know, double the rent costs in some of these units, Mm -hmm. maybe as much as that, and that just won't be affordable. Right. So apart from affordability, which is obviously one of the the huge concerns, uh, what other types of concerns are are your constituents raising about the proposed Grandview Woodland community plan? 
think, you know, there's concern. Uh, the community has pockets that are, uh, you know, quite different. When I look sort of broad or, or I look commercial drive heading east uh, up through uh, to Nanaimo and that, it's mostly single-family housing, uh, some small apartment development, but a lot of single-family. I think people worry about whether that changes and there's a pressure to build up. And what does that do to the nature of, of the community and the neighborhoods? And right. how does that change that dynamic? Um, I think that people worry about commercial drive, the kind of eclectic nature of commercial drive changing in a significant way, depending on who uh, who's bringing business to the street and what kind of motivation there is for businesses that are different than the ones today. Mm-hmm. Um, and how does that change? So it's people who... Um, are hanging on to a neighborhood and not wanting to see the character of the neighborhood change dramatically. And these are people who all will tell you, we understand we need density, we need more affordable housing, we need to have strategies that make that work, we need to have better transit, uh, a variety of those things, but we don't want to do this entirely at the expense of a neighborhood that, uh, that we love and we've lived in for a long time. Right, right. So do you think that the current government is doing enough to address affordability in Vancouver? Well, I, I'm not sure that they are. Um, and, and it really does require a pretty concerted effort and a partnership that I haven't seen. And that means the federal government has to be brought to the table, too. Back when there was federal housing programs and we had what were 50 cent dollars, the the feds were throwing in uh, money uh, and matching provincial money and then able to sit down with the local governments uh, and talk about land availability and zoning and other kinds of initiatives to to make projects work. Um, We need those federal dollars to be there in a significant way. Then I think we can get at this. And the province... um, has to have a better and more collaborative relationship, I think, with local government. I don't think it does anybody any good when the province is stepping away from their responsibilities in many cases and wagging their finger at uh, at the city and saying, um, you have too many rules and you take too long to make decisions. All of that might be somewhat true, but it's not getting at a collaborative approach that I think has to be there uh, to figure out where these solutions come from, whether it's innovative housing style and stock, whether it's innovative ownership models, uh, maybe looking at cooperative models or limited equity models that allow people some of the security of ownership, while at the same time uh, having some limits on equity so that people can, uh, can afford them. But that's going to have to be a creative discussion that involves all levels of government. I think the province has to be a leader in that, uh, and I haven't seen that leadership uh, to date. You're talking about creative proposals. One that we have heard about here is is the uh, City of Vancouver's ownership pilot program. Right. Um, what do you think of the City of Vancouver's ownership pilot program and uh, the current government's role in it? Well, you know, I've seen a little bit around the creation of the housing agency and the pilot program, the modular housing strategy that they're putting forward. So I, I, I congratulate the city on um, putting ideas out there and trying to find innovative approaches to address an extremely difficult problem that wouldn't be easy for anybody to address. So, so I'm encouraged that they're trying to be creative and innovative around this. Um, I think we'll have to probably wait a little while to see what the success of these are because it always takes time with these initiatives to to see whether they start to give you the results that you want to uh, accomplish. But 
they also, I believe, need that support of a provincial government that has to be prepared to think a little bit outside the box as well in terms of housing. I think that BC Housing, as the agency for the provincial government on housing issues, uh, has to take a more innovative approach. I think we need to, you know, engage um, the nonprofit sector and the cooperative sector more in that. And we have to bring the developers and the lenders. The credit unions are the ones that jump out at me around mortgages. But I think all of these folks have to be at this table talking mm-hmm. about how to make this work in a more, in a way that makes sense for the spending of public dollars and meets the needs around housing that people have. And I just haven't seen those tables created. I think the city may be doing some of that on their own. Uh, I'm not privy to those conversations, but but uh, they may be doing some of that. I certainly think that uh, what they're trying to do around innovation, um, they deserve some credit for. As to whether it works or not, uh, it's probably going to take a little while before we know that. Right, right. So, Shane, we're now entering into uh, month six of the foreign buyers tax what are your thoughts on the BC Liberals' policy? Is it is it good policy? Yeah, speaking of the the province's role. Well, you know the um, the government. It was a knee jerk reaction. I think the mm-hmm. uh, government uh, kind of jumped at that without a lot of thought. You'll know that it seemed like it was only weeks before we saw that tax that uh, Minister Coleman, the housing minister, was saying there isn't a problem with affordability in Vancouver, and don't worry about it. They were dismissing a lot of the claims and concerns that were being raised, including by my colleague David Eby, about uh, where this money was coming from and and what was happening with it. And I think there was a knee-jerk reaction that the tax was. At this point, I guess what we're starting to see is, uh, I think it did a couple of things. Um, One of the first things it did is it slowed the market down, because I expect a lot of domestic buyers said, oh, this is happening now. I'll put my money back in my pocket for a couple of months and see if it affects the market in a way that gives me better value when I go back out to buy. So I'll wait to see what the result is. I think that slowed the market down somewhat uh, by doing that. Um, I also think the reality is probably the market was prepared to slow a little bit anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't see it as as getting at the, the the real problem because it's not getting at the housing for the people who come to my office. Uh, the people who are coming to my office, I get a lot of families, you know, in the sixty, seventy thousand dollar annual family income bracket, saying, "I need a three bedroom. I've got a couple of kids. I can't find a three bedroom that I'm willing to put my family in. And when I do find it to rent, it's fifteen hundred dollars more, a thousand dollars more than I can possibly afford." And I don't think that the foreign buyers tax and the initiatives around that particular aspect of the market really get addressed by that. The other thing, and and I'm glad that we saw the government finally back away from this, is that they were hurting people who shouldn't have been hurt in this. People who had work permits, uh, were planning to come here and and stay here, and you don't want to punish those people uh, because they want to buy a house. Yeah, yeah, we actually had one of those, one of the uh, people that were affected or impacted, they bought just before the tax, and, and yeah, it was a tragic situation. He was a young guy from California that was working here, so um, yeah, it was, and, we were happy to see that. I mean, that's not who the tax should be targeted at. Right. Um, the other thing, and I think we'll have to see this, is, you know, we keep hearing that the Chinese uh, government in particular is looking to slow the... Uh, uh, the export of money mm-hmm. from China and to have more money uh, 
invested domestically there, more cash. Uh, so they've slowed down the ability to take money out of the country there, and I think that that probably has an impact as well. Plus, the federal initiatives around qualification for mortgages and requirements around that. So a whole lot of things, I think, have played here, and we'll see what the result of that is. But I think the tax was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction by a government that had ignored the issue uh, to the point where they couldn't ignore it anymore because it was on the front page of the newspaper every day. Yeah. Uh, so they reacted with this tax without thinking a whole lot about the implications of it. Just thinking about the Grandview Woodland plan again, uh, Shane, are, are you optimistic about the future, thinking five or ten years down the line as to, to what the community is going to look like? Um, sure, I'm, I'm an optimistic person by nature, so, uh, so <laughs> I, I am. Um, but I think there are serious questions about how the plan gets implemented. And, uh, and I've had conversations about this with members of city council, uh, certainly with people in the community. And so I think it's going to be very important over the next couple of years as the plan starts to come together around how this happens and what the results of, of this are in terms of how the implementation works. Right, right. Um, and, and I hope that conversation is a meaningful one. I also think that uh, uh, these kind of community plans like this, probably the city is going to need to have conversations with the provincial government and others about ways to deal with some of uh, the clear challenges that are created just around densification, around uh, affordability challenges in Vancouver, and how this plan um, allows this community to stay somewhat affordable mm -hmm. in relation to uh, many other places in the city that, that aren't. Fair enough. Well, maybe we'll leave it there, Shane, but we do have a, a segment on our show. It's a newer segment. Uh, we have five quick questions. It's called the Five Wire. Would you be willing to stick around and answer these five quick questions? Oh, sure. I'm sure I'm sticking my chin out on this, but let's do it. <laughs> your answers are probably biased, I'm thinking, considering your position, but we'll let Adam start. Okay, so favorite area of Vancouver? Um, East Vancouver, Commercial Drive. Favorite restaurant or bar? Uh, my favorite restaurant is, again, on Commercial Drive, Arriva's, the best traditional Italian food in the city. And the other one on Commercial that's great is the Carthage Cafe. Fabulous restaurant. Awesome. So where's the first place you bring someone from out of town who's never been to Vancouver? Um, I often will take people down for a walk around uh, Granville Island. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Uh, Eastside Penthouse or Eastside Mansion? Or Eastside uh, regular house. <laughs> I, I, I got a regular house. I got a 100-year-old house that I bought 28 years ago, and I remember my wife and I saying, oh, we'll never get our money back, but we love the house. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> Turned out all right, I'm sure. And, and final question, Al Pacino or Robert De Niro? Um, you know, at one point it would have been De Niro, but I'm probably leaning more to Pacino these days. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so, so Shane, if uh, if people want to reach out, how they how can they get in touch? Probably the two best ways are by email, uh, shane.simpson.mla at leg.bc.ca, or you can call my constituency office, my community office, at 604-775-2277. Okay, well, hey, thanks again for your time, Yeah, Shane. we really appreciate Thank it, you. Shane. Take care. Take care.
So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Shane Simpson, MLA for Vancouver Hastings. Matt, I thought that uh, Shane had some really excellent points kind of from the ground level, right? Like you can tell that he's living and breathing uh, his community and he knows exactly where the growing pains lie, right? Exactly. And the people he talks to every day, right? That's what he does. So he's he's a great guy to have on the show for that. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. Like we talked about before we cut to the interview, watching how Grandview Woodlands plays out over the next few years is going to be reflective of, I think it is in a, in a weird way, it's kind of a trial run for, for issues that Vancouver is going to have to confront. I mean, it's the cherished commercial drive and it's changing. And well, and, and Shane even alludes to that, right? Because he grew up there. Right. So he's already, hey, when I was a kid, you know, uh, different types of shops now and everything else. That's sort of, I think, the feeling of a lot of the community there, that yeah, people have been there for a long time. They love where they live. They love their community. And they're a little bit hesitant to see all the change. So it's it's going to be interesting to watch. And for I sure. do think you're right. It's... it's uh, this is the microcosm for the larger uh, the larger Vancouver play out here. In, in a lot of ways, it is. So that was great. But um, also, Matt, before we leave for the day, um, we'd love to invite you to go check out our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yeah, sign up for the Livewire, our newsletter there. Yeah, for sure. And also, we'd really like to thank everybody for giving us a, a rating on iTunes. We yeah. really appreciate it. It helps us grow our podcast. And uh, yeah, like we always say. It makes I mean, a guy that, feel good, too. It does make. I feel good. But it's it's the biggest uh, compliment that you can give us is Absolutely. to rate us on iTunes or to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you as well. Yeah. And Matt, um, also anything else? Well, before yeah. We- the last thing I'd say is we'd also like to hear from you if you're looking for a job. We're hiring realtors right now. Right. So if you're just taking your course, you're in the business uh, and you want to grow, um, yeah. we're looking to meet with you. So get in touch with Adam or myself. Absolutely. So Matt, how can people reach you? Give me a shout at 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And we should say we've heard uh, quite a few comments in the last week since we've had Braden on the show uh, talking about how much better it sounds and the editing and the yeah. sound quality and everything else. Breaks breaks the former editor's heart. It's... <laughs> Adam oh stop! <laughs> oh stop! But we should say if you want to get in touch with Braden or uh, or the nonpartisan line, Braden, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Okay, so have a great week, guys, and uh, we'll see you next week. V Rep Short on Sunday. Stay tuned. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. <laughs>
Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 